The distance between farmers and consumers is an issue being tackled by farming bodies around the globe. Food just doesn't appear in a supermarket. Likewise, when you see a garment in a shop or indeed online, there have been hundreds of people and many months of decisions and thinking behind getting that jumper, pair of pants, suit, socks, whatever, right there, right in front of your eyes. Hello, welcome to The Yarn. This is a podcast to and for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. Okay, so the issue of provenance, traceability, transparency of food and fibre works into this, and it's something many consumers are very keen to learn about. But just as interestingly, do farmers know the long supply chain that wool takes before it reaches the consumer? Well, an increasing number of wool growers have seen firsthand the wool processing chain, but working along in parallel to this is the fashion pipeline. That green jumper you like the look of, who chose that colour? Who chose that it was made of fine wool with just a touch of cashmere? Well, today on The Yarn, we talk to someone who really does know. And Sophie Joy Wright from Woolmark, Join myself and Ella Edwards for a chat about it. The most important thing to remember is that Australia's most significant contribution to the global fashion industry by miles is through wool. And so when we look at the supply chain, particularly in a sort of premium and luxury space in the industry, there's sort of a two-year time frame that it takes to go from quite an abstract conceptual space to the final garment that's in a shop and there are a number of steps from that uh, along the way and what's really amazing is that AWI and the Walmart company are strategically involved in all those different steps so we have what's called the wool lab which is really useful for that beginning stages of when a company or a brand or a designer is building their collection at at the very first conceptual level. And then they obviously go to buying fabric and developing fabric and then, or perhaps it's yarns for knitwear. And then we're looking at making prototypes and then those garments are presented on a runway and then those garments are bought by stores and then those garments are put into production and then they arrive in the stores. And so at all those different stages, um, the Walmart company has really quite slick involvement in bolstering wool's involvement and in and amplifying that for all the different receivers of that so at the end we're of course we're talking to consumers but along the way we're talking to uh, there might be fashion designers we might be talking to retailers and then at the early stages product developers fabric buyers and mills and um, factories so a good example of this yeah, is you're mentioning the influence that the London Olympics had. I think yeah. was it was back 2012, the London Olympics, I think it was, that the influence that the London Olympics had on uh, the merging of sportswear and fashion wear. So what, uh, using that as an example, how has wool been involved with that? Yeah, definitely. So now we're sort of talking about the fundamentals of trend forecasting, which the Walmart company 
um, is involved with through the Wool Lab. So with the example of the London Olympics, in the lead up to that, we saw a lot of editorials in high fashion magazines which had a really strong sportswear focus, specifically because for the first time in a while, the Olympics were in a large fashion capital, which was London. So all of a sudden we have a lot of fashion people paying attention to sport in a much more substantial way than before and seeing sports people as a way to increase the exposure of their brands and their garments. So that really accelerated the merging, I'd say, of fashion and sports styles. And you'd see 10 years ago we wouldn't have sneakers anywhere except in sports shops. But now you can walk into a Xenia store or Louis Vuitton store or a Chanel store and you will always find sneakers. And this is all off the bat of a global movement which is looking at garments becoming much more casual as indeed society is becoming much more casual. And so bringing that back to what Woolmark do, how does the Wool Lab fit into all this? What was really significant is that in our strat plan for AWI, sportswear was brought in as one of the three key pillars. This was a really key development for us in identifying that sportswear would be a huge move that the garment industry was converging on. And the Wool Lab as part of that developed a Wool Lab sports edition, particularly catered for sports brands, but Indeed, it it proved clear that the fashion industry was converging on this sportswear industry because fashion companies invest in the wool lab sports. So, I mean, it's only it's only goes to show that these these spaces are moving into each other with um, all these sort of trends that are bubbling around in the world. Our flagship marketing program is, of course, the International Walmart Prize. Yeah. That has a key role in, in influencing the fashion industry. Where does the Walmart Prize fit in? So the Walmart Prize is really quite amazing because what it does is it identifies the most exciting emerging designers from all around the world and gets them thinking about wool, which might be sort of for the first time that they're thinking about wool. And what's strategic about that is then that once they go through the prize, regardless of what level they get up to, what we get is we get designers who are now integrating wool into their collections as they grow. And our role, I suppose, is the contact you were saying before, the wool lab has a unique role in that it, it, it is connecting everything. You flip over the, the swatch and there is a commercial fabric available just as designers can be put in touch with retailers via Walmart. And what's really significant is that within the space of trend forecasting, this is really the only report that includes wool swatches, a fabric swatches which can be traced straight back to the mills. So it allows buyers and product developers to get inspiration for the upcoming seasons for the next two years' time and not only get inspiration but have the resources to implement that inspiration directly into their collections through this through these swatches which go back to the mills. So what what's behind that and what's behind the Walmart Prize as well is this connection that the Walmart company in AWI has with the supply chain. And so what we're able to do is connect young designers in the case of the International Walmart Prize and product developers from brands and uh, larger, larger retailers around the world to the best mills and factories in the world, which often the younger designers particularly don't have access to because they're sort of closed quarters often. 
Is it fair to say that when you see a, a woolen garment in a shop that it's taken at least two years for it to get there? Or was that growing in a paddock three years prior to that, two years prior to that? Is that a fair assumption or an unfair assumption? Because we hear how Zara turn around plastic garments in 12 weeks. It is a fair assumption, but it's not necessarily up to Zara to do all the legwork. What I mean by that is that you might have a retailer or a brand who are buying a fabric and making it into a piece of clothing very, very, very quickly. But they will most likely be buying a fabric behind which there is a lot of other legwork that other companies are doing and that we have trend forecasting companies doing, we have mills making that fabric, we have um, researchers creating new innovations. And so whilst there is a shorter turnaround for some companies, that, that they're not necessarily responsible for the entire supply yeah. chain. And in general, yes, it does take two years to create a garment and put it in a shop. But I would say that's a timeline more applicable to a premium space. Yeah and a luxury space. Yeah, I really didn't know the extent of influence and thought that goes into the clothes we buy. I mean, if I go to buy a sweater, its shape, colour and feel will all be trendy at that time. And in reality, that sweater didn't come out of nowhere. It was years in the making. Now, we often get criticised for pitching wool too high in the market and right. in Beyond the Bale or in the newspapers they might see images of catwalks or uh, Xenia or Prada or whoever that we're working with and think, well, why are we pitching wool right at the top? It's so exclusive and so expensive. But you were also, just on the Uniqlo example, you were saying how Uniqlo, an enormous Japanese uh, company, are a very interesting case in point in that they are selling $50, $40 woolen jumpers but also have quite a, a premium position in the marketplace. So... Can you explain how that works? Yeah, definitely. I think what's really amazing about Uniqlo, um, which is one of our larger licensees for the Walmart company in terms of certainly in terms of turnover, how much how much wool they sell for sure. Um, what is really amazing about them is that they're positioned quite far away from other retailers, like say for example H and M or Zara, particularly because of their quality. The quality control of Uniqlo is and is known to be um, leaps and bounds ahead of those other retailers. And they also are very clever in their own positioning in that they do collaborations with designers like J.W. Anderson, who was also involved in the Walmart Prize quite a few years ago. And he's one of, a, one of the best designers now, um, based in the UK and is also the director of LVM, one of LVMH's larger houses. And they've done a capsule collection with him quite recently. And what that does is positions Uniqlo above, certainly above other high street retailers, both both um, for their creativity or how they're involved in with creative designers. But that's really supported by the quality and what they're producing. It's just about the quality. So why do we try and pitch wool at the highest point? Is it because they're the most influential and that they influence the others, the trickle-down effect? Or is there another theory to it? Because um, wool growers often ask this, yeah, we work with brands across the market, though certainly focus on those who value quality. 
There's a huge part of the fashion industry that encourages consumers to view clothing as disposable, but this is really terrible for the environment and also doesn't do any justice to the quality of Australian wool, not to mention the work that goes into it from the farm right through the supply chain. Wool is an amazing fibre and in a class of its own by being natural, biodegradable, renewable, soft and breathable. And these are the qualities of a fibre that really should be cherished. Tell us a little bit about where, where we can read your writing because uh, you write for a, a few of our publications. Yeah, definitely. I write for the website, woolmark.com. I do a lot of writing for the Wool Mag, which is um, distributed at a lot of our AWI events, so have a look out for that. And I also sometimes write for Beyond the Bale, so look out for my name in that. So, but uh, you're, you're specifically um, employed, for want of a better term, to, to write longer form and, and, and you write beautiful longer stories and you've been uh, writing in, in that fashion area. So that who, who reads your writing generally? It's not generally wool growers, is it? No, definitely not. I'm much... Um, I'm much more experienced in um, knowing my, my fashion audience and my fashion readers with, uh, with my writing, which previously was for um, Italian Vogue and uh, quite a few other publications over in France and Italy. Um, so that's where I really sort of hone my skills in those sort of longer fashion editorial pieces. Well, thanks so much, Sophie, for speaking with us. I'm Ella Edwards. I'm Marius Cumming, and today we've been speaking with Sophie Joy Wright, who plays a crucial role in communicating fashion, Walmart, AWI. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having you on with us. All the best. Thank you.